Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Linda Franken and this is Powered Up Talk Radio and we're going to talk about successful thinking and overcoming odds and challenges today. Uh, Linda, you just overcame a great challenge with the redo of your apartment. Seven weeks you were in chaos. (laughs) Yes, but I call these good problems. You know, it's definitely stressful, but um, I could think of a lot worse things. But, you know, the, re- the end result was terrific. So I'm getting back to, you know, a more normal schedule now. So it's, I'm glad that it's over, and I'm glad that I did it. And um, what can I say? It's, you know, I'm, it's, every time I walk in there now, I'm very happy. <laughs> Well, and I have a question for you. Was it, you know, because I I know how I am. I'm curious to how you are. Was the anticipation of it, the execution of it, or the results of it most stressful for you? No, none of the above that you mentioned. The most stressful part for me was the preparation. It was, you know, putting everything in boxes, taking things out of closets, uh, you know, having to get rid of everything in my bathroom. You know, all of that was more stressful to me than the actual uh, doing of the job and then getting my husband to do what he had to do, which, you know, went down to the wire as well. So that, to me, was the most stressful. Once they started, my job was done. Mm Mm-hmm. Wasn't it was you know crazy having people walking in and out and doing all of that, um, keeping control of Lucy so she didn't bark at everybody that was coming. But you know that was that was okay. I was sort of now they had I did my job now they had to do their job. So that for me uh, was just getting ready, uh, which it took me a month to get ready because I went through things and threw things out. So that was that was the most stressful. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting. This was a this was a scheduled change, you know, and, you know, I've been thinking about change a lot over uh, the last couple of weeks because I'm changing things in my house. My my lifestyle is changing again. You know, my dad is going to go back to New York for for three months. So, you know, I'll be, you know, uh, solo again with the two kids and juggling my company and everything that needs to be juggled. And one of the things that I did, Linda, while you were talking to me about, you know, going through your stuff and throwing things out and getting rid of stuff. I started doing that in my office here because I needed to free up that mental bandwidth space. And it's interesting because our guest today, um, 
both of our guests talk a lot about success in different ways. Uh, we're going to have uh, Paul Lamar Hunter come on. He's going to talk about the book he wrote, No Love, No Charity, The Success of the 19th Child. Um, I just think of that going like, I got two. I don't know how you could do uh, 21. And then we're going to bring on Josh Davis. His book just was released. Um, he's the director and lead professor at the Neuro Leadership Institute. Um, and he taught at Columbia, NYU, and some other great schools. And so he was just featured. They just talked about him in Forbes magazine about his two awesome hours, which I read his book, Linda, and I'm really trying to implement his two awesome hours strategy. So um, with respect to the um, topic of the day, success is so much about the way we think about things um, because you can't really control anything else. And like you with your apartment, Linda, you couldn't control when people were coming in and out, you know, some of the decisions and changes that you had to make. And, you know, I just think change is when I was younger, change was exciting. Then when I got older, change became a little more fearsome. Uh, what are your thoughts on change? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not a big uh, fan of change. Uh, but I know that it's inevitable and that you just have to lay back and, and see what comes down the pike. And it's not the change so much about, but it's how you react to the change. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, who is a neatness freak and, and likes to have everything in its place, cause that's control. And we, re, you know, and even though I know in my mind, in my brain, that I have absolutely no control over control, I still, I still, you know, don't, I, it, letting go is really, really hard for me. But with this, I just had to let go because, you know, it, it was here. They were coming in and they were coming out and they were doing this and they were doing that. And I just said, okay, I'm just going to lay back and I'm going to be as stressless as I can be. Uh, so I don't drive me crazy or them crazy. And I managed to do that because they were, at the end, they said, you were really great to work with. I don't know if they tell that to everybody. They said, you know, you, you weren't on our backs and, um, you know, you handled it well. We, we understand the disruption to your house and, you know, we appreciated it. So that was good. That's wonderful. Um, I'd like to bring in uh, Paul Lamar Hunter uh, at this point to talk about like successful thinking and, and navigation. Now, this guy's pretty neat. He has um, he's the 19th of 21 children, and he wrote a book called The Success of the 19th Child, No Love, No Charity. And he had a famous mother. You know, she was famous for the homeless shelters that she founded and some other things. And he had has traversed like poverty, neglect, dysfunction, even death, um, these experiences that he has had. You know, I'm so excited to, to meet him and get his opinion on change. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, um, thank you, Sandra, for having me on the show. I'm excited. I'm delighted I'm, to be on the show. How, I'm just going to go, how, 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 number 19. 19 in the lineup. That's That's like, Two hockey teams and some spares. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I come from a, um, a huge family, 21 natural children my mom had. There are 17 <laughs> living today. There are 63 grandchildren and 86 great-grandchildren. So oh we, we actually have a basketball team, a football team, a hockey team, <laughs> a baseball team, a soccer team. 
So change, Paul, you have to have gone through so many changes to, to rise up and be the success that you are today. What's the secret to change? What's your secret to change? I think my secret to change is that I had to get away from an unhealthy environment and surround myself with positive men and women. And so once I began to change my behaviors, surround myself with positive men and women and stay hungry to learn, I became a better person. I was able to write my book, No Love, No Charity, The Success Story of the 19th Child. And that book right now, it's on um, Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles. You can pick it up at any bookstore. And Sandra, this book here is a parenting book and it is a game changer for many parents that have kids. Because I believe as a father of four children, you have to show love to your children and also you have to give them hugs. Now, when I was growing up, it was prohibited to give to give a hug because my mom did not want us to hug, hug her or show any love. Wow. I ha- Hi, there, Paul. It's Linda. I have a question. I have a couple of questions, actually. The first question is, well, I, you know, I can't even believe 21 children. That's, you know, that's, that's <laughs> too much for my mind to comprehend. How many dads were involved with 21 children? Well, when my mom met my father, she had three girls. She and my father had a total of 18 together. Holy, holy moly. Boy, they were busy. They were busy. Um, and, and being, you know, I want to hear more about your background, but how did you know? I mean, I agree 100%. You have to get away from people that pull you down and get into an environment of people that, you know, that pick you up and that, you know, that are good for you. But how, I mean, from being in a bad environment, how did you know that? How did you know that? Was it was that a fire in your belly or was it an experience that you said, oh, my God, it was an aha moment? How did you come to know that you had to leave and you needed change? Well, when I was a child, I always saw a lot of negativity in the home uh, with my mom. Uh, My father was present all the way up until I was eight years old, but he passed away. And so my mom became the breadwinner in the home. And when she became the breadwinner, she began to make derogatory statements. She told us that um, she did not want us to um, become educated or graduate from high school or college. And she would constantly beat us up mentally, spiritually, physically. And so living in that type of environment, I knew that I wanted something different. I just wanted something different. And looking at the Hunter family history, we don't have a lot of uh, educators in our home, in our in our family members. And so looking at that history, I wanted to be the first to graduate from high school. But um, some of my siblings did that. So I set out my set out to be the first to graduate from college and also to be the first author in the family. And I and I achieved that. So being in a negative environment had taught me that anytime that you see other people in a, in a negative environment, you have to pull them aside and 
have a discussion with them and so they can see what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Okay, did, did you have a mentor that helped you uh, make the moves that you did? Uh, hello, we got to go to commercial break. Uh, this is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin with Powered Up Talk Radio. Linda, I know you got so excited. I know I want to ask Paul a bunch of questions. We are visiting today with Paul Lamar Hunter, uh, No Love, No Charity, The Success of the 19th Child. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. It's a great book. I've read it myself. It's riveting. It's really hard to put down. You're going to want to hear more from Paul about his theories of success and his own travels through the success realm more after the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central. On Doginet.com. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio, and we are visiting with the author of the book, The Success of the 19th Child, No Love, No Charity, Paul Lamar Hunter. We're talking about success, and Paul, before we went to break, you said something very profound, um, because I am continually pulling my kids out of a negative situation with respect to some of our family members, constantly, constantly pulling them out from, from the negative 
belief system, the negative, everything. It's pervasive. And you talked about how important it was to pull a child out of negativity. And Linda, I'm sorry I had to cut you off before we went to break. I want to give you a chance to answer or to ask your question to Paul. Okay, I was, you know, because the, the, the family was so, I guess, chaotic and crazy uh, with 21 children and a mother that was working. Um, did, you, did you have a mentor? Did someone help you uh, make the, 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 the changes that you made, you know, whether it be a counselor or a teacher in school or, or a relative? or who, who helped you, if anyone? Well, um, the person that helped me, um, his name was uh, Michael. And um, he was a mentor in my life, and he had guided me um, along the way. Um, he was involved in my mom's homeless shelter, and that's how I met him. And he told me that education was the key out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to guide me in the right direction. So now, as an adult, I will be out in Los Angeles, California, speaking at the Boys and Girls Club, sharing my story. And I believe that I have a moral obligation to go out in society and tell my story to young men and women so that way they have a good understanding that if they want to get out of a negative environment or poverty, they have to get an education. And that is the key, is to tell my story and let people know that it does not matter how you start but it's how you finish. And I thank God for Mike for coming into my life and was sharing his his past experience with me and just giving me some great information. And he he's a he's 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 one of my biggest um, supporters. And so I thank him a lot for for being there for me. You know, uh, Paul. Let me ask you. This is Sandra. Was it so much his words that he said, or did you look at the lifestyle he lived, or was it that he paid attention to you? Because i got to imagine that when you're number 19, like I was number three in the lineup in my family, and I always felt like I didn't get enough attention because, you know, I'm the maladjusted middle kid. Um, But, you know, at number 19 in the lineup, um, I have to imagine that so much of your own emotional development was on your own or was was fostered by your brothers and sisters because there's no way anybody could parent 19 children i mean there's just not enough hours in the day even if each of them got a half hour you're still looking at an eight hour work day just to parent um so what was it that so inspired you was it that he paid attention to you that he he himself was successful you know what made you think that you could have that too well because he was successful he was a successful um, lawyer when he was young and when he started to volunteer at my mom's homeless shelter um, I just looked at his history how he was a famous attorney in the state of Wisconsin and that how he carried himself he has he had charisma and and I like that about him and he he had compassion and so not only that but my siblings also played a role in my life as well. So when it came to my mentor, Mike, he was just there for me. He also sometimes took the time to tutor me. And so that played a, a significant role as well. But I never forget the words that he said that always give back to your community. Say when you make it to uh, the top, always give back to your community. 
And so that's the reason why I keep expressing that uh, uh, I want to continue to share my personal story of success because young men and women need to hear positive stories like mine because it will uplift them. There's somebody right now that might be struggling academically, might be living in poverty here in America, might be listening to this interview, and, and they might say, you know what? If this guy can come from a family of 20 siblings and make it, I can make it too. Well, and I'm going to go one step further to say that, you know, that's that's very powerful and that's very true. But I also think that you have a message to reach out to the mentors, the people that are like your attorney friend. Mike was his name, I think. Yes. Um, you know, that there's a lot of women and men in positions of power today that can can reach out and you know, not have a formal mentoring relationship, but just touch somebody's heart, touch a child's heart, let them know that you see them, let them know they matter, let them know that your their success matters to you. Because I would think that a lot of the reasons that people stay stuck in negativity and poverty, and you know, and I don't come from wealth, Paul, not by a long shot, um, is that, you know, you kind of feel invisible and then you think, well, I'm kind of invisible. So why should I try? I'll just get by. I'll just get along. Um, and there are people, I think of Mrs. Elefeld, my ninth grade teacher who, you know, God rest her soul. Um, you know, when she died, I just, I burst out crying right in the middle of my office. And you think who cries over a ninth grade teacher? Well, yeah, you cry over one that tells you, you know, that you can do this, that you have talent, that she believes in you. And I borrowed her faith you know, until I found my own in myself. And I think that's something, you know, Paul, that I'd love you to talk about. Well, I, I can say this, that uh, when when Mike was was there for me, he had told me these words. He said that when you get to college, uh, make sure that you always surround yourself with positive men and women. And, and what I learned is that when you have a vision and you share your visions, your vision with uh, the professors, like I did at Upper Iowa University. It was a blessing because they were able to help me along the way. And they gave me a lot of um, advice and they really boost my confidence that I can take my academic game to the next level. And so I was able to do that. That's why I became the first child out of 21 natural children to graduate from college. And so, you know, the staff and faculty at Upper Iowa University was, was great to me. So, you know, Mike played a significant role. The staff at Upper Iowa University played a, um, a critical role as, as well. Um, it's Linda. I would like to just ask a question. As you are sort of moving into a new life um, and feeling really good about yourself, what kind of reaction did you get from your siblings? Um, did you get a lot of flack, you know, like, hey, you're such a big shot, or did they admire you? And, and how did that evolve um, over time? You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to say this. It was mixed feelings because on, on graduation day, um, none of my um, siblings or my mom was there when I graduated oh, from boy. college. Oh, so wow. um, I, I, I did not... Um, receive any presents. You know how you get graduation presents uh -huh. and, and take pictures with family and siblings? I did not receive that um, at all. No one was there for me, but uh, I remember this girl 
her name is um, Dominique Stewart, and she said to me, she said, Mr. Hunter, there's no one here to cheer you on. I said, no. She said, well, you know what? When they call your name, I'm going to cheer you on. And then and the other girl named Jasmine, she said, yes, we're going to cheer you on. So, you know, my biological um, siblings and my mom was not present. But, you know, those two women cheered me on. And that was enough right there to say, you know what? I have to live my life for me. You know, there's there's a you know what I what I I have to say this, you know, because um, people are not going to cheer for you. They're not going to encourage you. But I remember reading in the book of Psalms where David said that, you know, you have to encourage yourself. And that's what I do. I encourage myself. Yeah. That's, that's the most powerful because um, if you don't do it yourself, you know, the other people, it doesn't count because it's only surface and it, it wears away very quickly. Mm-hmm. You have to yes. keep nurturing yourself uh, and, and, you know, keep on transitioning all the time. You know, it's, it's like, a, you know, feeling good about yourself and being positive and, and having the life that you want. It's like a muscle. You have to exercise it all the time or it gets weak. Yes, yes, yes. So, and another thing that I want to say is that, you know, I'm focused, you know, I am determined. And so once my story really goes viral and the national media is talking about it, you know, I think it's going to be a story that will touch people's lives. And it doesn't doesn't matter what color you are, it just will touch your story and make people become better parents. Well, and I think, you know, as we talk about like successful thinking, and I know we only have two minutes till the end of uh, the segment, um, when it comes to successful thinking, I really, you know, want people to understand that education is not a right or a privilege. And it's not anybody trying to be all that. It's, it's, everybody's like God given right, you know, that I, you know, I look at Paul and I think about you because I know there are people in my graduate program and people in my undergraduate who, who had similar experiences that their family was like, well, who are, who do you think you are going to college? Who do you think, you know, you think you're so great and investing in yourself should be normal. And I'm just going to use that word normal. And Paul, I'd love your, your comments for the last minute of this segment that I need to close this out. Okay, well, the most important thing that I want to say is that to, to everybody that is listening, that it is possible that you can live your dreams. I came from a family of 20 siblings. I made it. I had to change my behaviors. I had to surround myself with positive men and women. I had to stay hungry to learn. If I can achieve my goals, you can achieve your goals. Please go out and purchase my book, No Love, No Charity, The Success Story of the 19 Child. And I am available for speaking engagements and book signings. So please visit my website, paullamarhunter.com, paullamarhunter.com. Well, there you have it, folks, right from the horse's mouth. No love, no charity, the success of the 19th child. When we come back from the break, we're going to visit with Josh Davis. He's written a great book called Two Awesome Hours, and today's show is all about success, success in the way we think, success in the way we act. Paul Lamar Hunter said it himself. He needed to change some things about himself to become a success. There's no shame in it. We've all had to do it. We're going to visit with Josh Davis more after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls. 
and motivation every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Learn how to maximize your mojo and just say no to the status quo. Get inspired and motivated by a fun-loving coach who knows what it's like to get through this thing called life. With your high on life coach, Audra Irwin, each Friday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time and 12 noon Eastern. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is for all you girls. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio. And for those of you that missed the first half of the show, you can check us out on iTunes under Powered Up Talk Radio. You can go by our .com by the same name, PoweredUpTalkRadio.com, or you can head over to our host station out of Texas, Toginet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com. And we want to send a big shout-out, Linda. We are in our... Uh, fifth month of the year this year, and we are approaching our 10 millionth download for the year. So I just want to say congratulations, wow. Linda. That is We're impressive. rocking it. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Congratulations to us. <laughs> yes, congratulations to us. And with all this newfound success, we thought we'd do a show today about successful thinking and successful practices. So when you think about successful thinking, I want you guys to go out and look at Paul Lamar Hunter's book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles if you want to be uplifted. And now we're going to talk to Josh Davis because Josh uh, wrote a book and I got an advanced copy of it um, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago called Two Awesome Hours. Harness your best time. Time, get your most important work done. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that I am gung-ho. I'm still doing my fat flammation diet, Linda. I'm still doing Dr. Joseph Gallenberger's um, meditations at night. And of course, now I folded into my mix the two awesome hours. Linda, I'm just, I love this. I love what we do. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And, and, you know, we get to talk to some awesome people and, uh, and, and learn something in the process. Can't beat that. They can't beat that. So we are going to visit now with Josh Davis, and we can call him Dr. Josh because he's a Ph.D., and, um, oh, my gosh, he's all into neuroscience and psychology research, and he's going to make it easy. And I'm going to tell you, I always endorse books um, for one reason. 
I can read it. I can understand it. It wasn't too long and it wasn't boring. So there you go, Josh. There's my endorsement for your book. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself for our readers who may not be familiar with the famous Josh Davis, Mr. <laughs> Bullseye. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I have a uh, background in neuroscience and psychology. I I uh, spent a number of years on the faculty at Barnard College of Columbia University in the psychology department there. Um, I actually worked as an engineer and as a public high school teacher before I went back and got my Ph.D. Um, and, uh, and now I'm at the uh, Neuro Leadership Institute. I'm the director of research and lead professor at the Neuro Leadership Institute. It's a think tank and a business consultancy that... Uh, translates neuroscience and psychology findings for businesses to help people figure out how, how to make it applicable. Um, so we, we run programs for organizations as well as having education programs for individuals. So you're not very smart, are you? <laughs> nope, pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. <laughs> I, I, I heard the shame that came across. <laughs> neuro this, neuro that. Well, so you. why write a book? Why write the book Two Awesome Hours? And I am trying to live the two awesome hours, I'm gonna tell you. So uh tread carefully. I, I'm so happy to hear that and I and I am so curious and I wanna know what's working best for you, you know, but um so hopefully there'll be a chance to find out. The uh the the idea came from this that uh I as well as everyone I know, uh, was complaining about being overwhelmed with work, too much work to do, and it just seemed to accelerate. That the more that we have access and to our devices constantly, the more it accelerates, and we send each other requests all the time, and we expect faster and faster responses, and then we re get rewarded for that. And so there's just this this building uh, amount of work, and it's more than anyone can do at this point. So we're at a stage where for anyone to succeed, just about anyone, to succeed at their work, we each have to become uh, the, the ones to decide what needs to happen and what needs to happen when. Um, we have to start doing a lot of our own prioritizing. And, and so, uh, so I became interested in, in discovering, is there something we can learn from neuroscience and psychology? And one of the things that really caught my attention was that we can be very effective for short periods of time, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a couple hours, maybe even a few hours, we can get a lot of important stuff done that's going to last the whole week even. And then we can be really kind of worthless for a couple of days in a row you know, where we're just not getting much done. And so what I started to wonder about was can we learn something about how to set up the conditions for those periods of being really effective? There's some way we can start to do that when we need to or at will or to, to know how to predict that. And that's that's where that's sort of where the idea was born. Did you um, what you just said about you know the couple of hours if you're lucky uh, and then the rest are you're, you're just kind of coasting along? Did you find that experience in your own life? Is that what prompted you to do the research? Oh yeah, I absolutely would find that to happen, and uh, you know, and and, and uh, I was finding myself. It didn't seem right. I was putting in too much time uh, and not not loving what I was doing as much and, and not being able to, to kind of produce at will as much. Um, so, so not being able to be as present with the work as I wanted, uh, that was definitely a big driving force for me. 
Well, you know, I think in, in this society, in this world, especially now, um, that people think, the, you know, you have to work hard, 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 hard to get what you want, and that's sort of ingrained in you. If you're not working so hard, then you're lazy and you're not going to get what you want. But it doesn't always work that way because, as you said, if you're, if you're doing the work and it's not – it's not stimulating you if it's not making you happy. Um, if you you know you step aside and say, "Boy, this 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 is not what I really want to be doing." There's no way you're going to be successful at it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And and this idea of of beating ourselves up, feeling like we need to work constantly, and in fact, and in many circles, you know, it's a badge of honor actually to brag about how much time you've been putting in and how exhausted you are. That actually goes back at least to the time of Thomas Edison, uh, that he was one of the, one of the people who um, historically bragged quite a bit about that and, and worked constantly. Uh, but if we go back even farther, we find people like Ben Franklin, who, by, by the way, actually was uh, the 15th child in his family. Uh, and I think by some measures, Ben Franklin was successful. Um, <laughs> that, 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 uh, uh, I would agree. Right? Is that, is that a fair, fair thing to say? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair assumption, right? Right. Well, yeah, and I'm going to drag it, like I'm going to drag you guys out of the dusty history books into modern day because um, there are over 10 million single moms in the United States. And that's why I initially was attracted to your book, um, Josh, because of, you know, the idea of these two awesome hours. And, you know, I did a little research about single moms and how many of us have had kids after the age of 30 because we educate ourselves and had a career. And so, you know, when you look at this model that you talk about of busy executives, um, I took it from the point of view, Josh, of going, okay, I am a busy executive, but I also happen to be a single mom of two elementary school age kids, you know? So when I looked at this two awesome hours, you know, it was why I was attracted to the four hour work week initially too, of going, okay, I get it. I'm a single mom. I don't have, you know, two incomes. I don't have two parents. I don't have any leverage. So where do I cut? And, you know, that was one of the big reasons that I, I combed your book for good advice, because when you look at the number of executives that are also single mothers, your book helps us. Um, far beyond, you know, just the whole productivity at work. A lot of this is also about life productivity. And I'd love you to I love your take on that. Yes, Absolutely. It's that was so important to me when writing that I that this is about this, this is I wanted this to be for everyone. There's there's some you know there are all kinds of jobs that have different criteria you know from a doctor that has a very structured schedule and a number of external constraints and then there are people working at home and being a single mom that's a part of life. This is not we can't just carve out our work and have it magically be separate from everything else we're doing. The the decisions we have to make with kids the you know the extra work of of you know um helping out with homework there's the you know financial challenges these are still taxing our decision making capacities and these are influencing our emotions these are things not to just wish away but these are things to acknowledge and to leverage to take advantage of to help set ourselves up for those periods of being really effective and i think especially the more constrained your schedule is the more things that you have the more important it is to think differently about your schedule rather than thinking, okay, how can I pack it all in? To think, how can I set up a couple of hours of real effectiveness when I can do the stuff that matters most? And then the stuff that's not so important, I'll, I'll fit it in you know, when I'm tired and when it's late at night and when the kids have gone to bed. 
Well, and I want to show people like what this looks like, you know, like, you, yeah. you, know, you said, like, you know, how, how did you weave this in? Well, one of the things that you talk about is like the decision points and you're managing your mental energy and how many decisions you have to make in a day. And I look at, you know, Josh, I make tons of decisions, you know, between my company, my career, my kids. And, you know, by certain times of the day, I'm tired. I don't want to make a decision. And one of the practices that I put into practice with my kids, with my clients, because they're kind of the same thing most of the time, um, is that I'm not going to make, I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow by noon. I know my peak productivity hours for me are 10 and two, you know, I'm not a late night person. I'm not a morning person, but I know I can be super effective in the hours between 10 and two. So I have stopped checking my email during that time. You know, unless I decide to take a break, I shut off all these distractions and I've cleaned out my office of these to-do lists that were really oppressive. You know, the distraction would be, it would pull me away from my work. I'd look at my to-do list for my home. I'd look at my to-do list, like, you know, for my personal life, I'd look at my to-do list. I was drowning and, you know, I can't make decisions all day long, effective, good ones, but I can make great ones between the hours of 10 and two. And you know what? The world does not fall apart because they have to wait for my answer. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And it does take a cycle or two of learning that, that it can be scary at first to take that, to take that risk. But, you know, recognizing your time and it doesn't, you know, some people give the advice, you should always just try to do the important stuff early in the morning. You should try to do the important stuff when you're at your peak. And for many people that is early in the morning because they haven't fatigued themselves yet, but it's not necessarily. And sometimes we don't have the choice about when we're going to do something. And so then we want to instead think about how can I refresh myself and hit the reset button and things like moderate exercise, not intense, but moderate exercise, 20 minutes on the treadmill, for example, that that's one of the most reliable things we know of for reducing anxiety. And it's not exercise for the long term, for feeling like, you know, for long term health or looking good. It's, it's for how it's going to affect you in the, in the hours that follow. It's a different way of thinking of exercise. It's those kinds of things that we can do to change, to, to make it easier, to let things go, to stay more present when we need to be. I'm going to take us to commercial break. We are visiting today with Josh Davis, and he wrote a book called Two Awesome Hours. It's available wherever booksellers are sold. It's produced by HarperCollins, so if you just Google it, you can find it. It's a really good book. I encourage you to read it. Uh, we're going to come back from the break, and we're going to talk more about managing you know, important stuff, your highly effective time, making your decisions and making your workplace and your home place work for you. More after the break we've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages Welcome to Podcasting by Professionals. My name is Keith with Radio Links Broadcast Marketing, and I am here today to introduce you to five top industry pros who will teach you everything you need to know to start your own professional podcast. At the end of the course, 
we think you'll be well on your way to becoming an expert host of your own show. By the way, please do visit our website. It is podcastingbyprofessionals.com. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio. And we are visiting with author Josh Davis of the book Two Awesome Hours, How to Harness Your Best Time and Get Your Most Important Work Done. Now, Josh, before we went to break, you were talking about getting the important stuff done. And, you know, all I could think about is what happened to me yesterday, Um, you know, there was an important report that I had to get out and it was due at five o'clock and at approximately four o'clock, my son, Zach threw up. My dad could not find his hearing aids. The The network that we have in the house went down. We had internet, but we, but the router wasn't working. So my son starts yapping from the kitchen table. You know, he can't upload his homework. I can't do my homework. And you know, Josh, I was about to, you know, if I had an Uzi, I think I would have unloaded on everybody. Um, I had just had enough. I couldn't make one more decision. I just didn't have anything and because I read your book I went out to the garage and I hopped on my treadmill just for like 10 minutes enough to burn off that energy that says I want to kill someone right now like I cannot do one more thing and you know that's the reality of today because most people take work home so they're juggling work after work they're juggling kids they're juggling family we've got internet we're wired and we're so used to wiring ourselves into technology um, there was something you talk about in your book about, you know, freeing yourself from distractions. And a big one for me was shutting off my email, you know, cause I, I have a sound on my computer that makes emails sound, sound like gunshots. So it's like, bah, 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 uh-huh. that's what they feel like, mm-hmm. um, when we manage our distractions, we can bring ourselves down a level. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so our attention systems are not designed to stay focused, actually. Our attention systems are designed to pick up on what's changing in the environment. So uh, a functional attention system is going to help you adaptively respond if there is something threatening in the environment or something novel or interesting or new that would be useful to pay attention to. A functioning attention system is not going to keep you focused indefinitely. So we should expect that our attention is going to drift and we should expect that if there are reminders and uh, distractors in our workspace that it's going to get our attention. One of the now, hardest is that you making those noises? What is that noise? Because I'm getting distracted. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to you. I'm hearing that too. Yeah, I don't know where that's coming from. That's hilarious. There's a ghost on the air with us making us distract. Making us distracted. To illustrate the point of how hard it is to pay attention when any of these things come up. Because our our functioning, our uh, well-functioning attention systems are are going right to it. And that's exactly what they should do in order to be a a well-functioning human being. So, you know, 
what we what's what I think is important to do is when we understand our attention systems that we can be a little bit more self compassionate. That uh, you know, recognizing okay, it's drifting, it needs to drift, but then the challenge is coming back. How do we come back? So so a few things that we can do. One is that we can remove likely distractors. Now your typical desk, people pile up things that for good reason they want to remind themselves of. They tend to be the things, the things that sit there tend to be the things you don't really want to get to. So there's often some negative emotional charge about it. And uh, those are precisely the kinds of things you don't want to have when you're sitting down for a good solid work session. So, okay, you know, I just wanted to chime in here really because yeah. I, you know, that's, I, I did clean out my office because of that. Like, you know, I had a pile of bills, I had a pile of, you know, stuff that needed my attention, you know, things that I really didn't want to, um, we're getting some crossover on the lines here, so just bear with me, everybody. Um, uh, but one of the things that happened, Josh, when I removed all those distractions from my desk, I sat down and thought, oh, my God, I'm not important. Nobody's, you know, what's going on here? Uh-huh. That's right. So all of those things, we can take them and, you know, I actually encourage people, if you're not someone who finds it easy to clean up on a regular basis and the stuff's just sitting there and you really want to have a good, solid session, uh then, you know, and you're ready to get down to work, just take it all and dump it in a box and move it. You know, it's, it's, it's that important. It will actually distract you. And we tend to booby trap our offices. You know, we have things set up where people can walk in at any moment, where you can hear a siren in the background, you know, where, uh, where uh, people are talking all around us. And one of the hardest things to tune out is intermittent speech, hearing speech in the background. <laughs> That's one of the hardest things to tune out is the sirens. Sirens are hard to tune out for good reason. I mean, they're designed to catch your attention. You know, they're really meant to stand out above everything. That's the whole point of them. Uh, But actually, speech is even harder for people to tune out. Speech, and and that's one of the most common distractors. Now, uh, things that pertain to another person that are social, like email and responsibilities and feeling bad socially, those are definitely going to grab our attention. So when we want to have a good solid session, we can we can go a little easy on ourselves and just remove some of the things that will distract us. And then if we do get distracted though, this is where there's a there's a real shift that I think a lot of people can make conceptually uh that'll that will help. So when you're working along and then you do find your mind wandering uh and you say, "Okay, I've got to you know, I've got to get back on task." We typically try to like, you know, use willpower, kind of beat ourselves up. I've got to stay on task, right? And say, okay, well, maybe I'll just go check and see who liked my Facebook post to the kids, you know, this, the, the picture I posted. You know, something to distract and refresh. Actually, what happens when we do that is that we're still taxing the same focused attention systems. But, and we're doing something that's likely to actually get us lost on a tangent and onto autopilot and before you know it, a half hour can go by. Instead, there's something else we can do which is extremely powerful. There's something we can do that actually has the following benefits. It helps us, in, and I'll say what it is afterwards because it's a bit surprising. It helps us integrate uh, activity and sort of the goal-focused parts of the brain with activity in the self-processing parts of the brain. Usually those are at odds. When this happens, they integrate. It helps us plan for the future. It helps us find ways to rethink uh, temptations so that we delay gratification. 
and it helps us be, come up with creative solutions. So this, this one thing that we can do helps with across all of those different abilities. That one thing is mind wandering. You don't typically tell your kids, hey, you know what, I really want you to mind wander more in school. You need to daydream more. But in fact, when we block ourselves from mind wandering, we block ourselves from having the opportunity for all of those wonderful benefits. What else happens is when we do let ourselves mind wander, just stare at the plants, stare at a, a piece of art for a few minutes. It gets boring after a little while, and our minds are likely to drift back. That's when we can get back on task. So attention, attention will follow what's changing. Let your mind wander at that moment for a few minutes. You will be back on task faster and ready to be far more effective than if you shift and do something else. And is that why I Chaos is going around her in the home, so she went and she did. She went on her treadmill. But what do you do when you're sitting in the office and the boss is watching you, and you really have to look busy for eight or ten hours a day? How how does someone in the office handle this? That's a real challenge when you've got somebody looking over your shoulder, and you need to do it just for the sake of appearances. Um, one of the things, and this is a longer term thing, but that I'm really I'm really on a mission to change the culture. And and as we get bosses reading the book then they're likely to be in a, in, in a position to think, well, I want the, the best work. I want the most productivity. I want the best effectiveness out of my workers. And so I'm going to encourage them to be thinking of their work in this way. I do that with my team. I tell them, when you're working for me, I want you to be very effective. So I don't want you overtaxing yourselves in the wrong ways. Uh, you know, I don't want you doing work at the wrong times because it's not gonna, I'm not going to get good work. So that's one thing. But I think there's also the challenge uh, when somebody's there and there's nothing yet that you can do. They haven't read the book yet. Um, you know, let's say maybe it's a month and they still haven't read it yet. Right? So uh, at th the kinds of things you can do are identifying those things that are really most important for you and finding ways to what some people do. At first, they may spend an hour at home before work and do it, uh, just carving out a little time. Some people will reserve a space uh, if there is one at the office, uh, in a conference room, just for the stuff that really matters. Um, you know, other people will find ways to just kind of close their eyes at the desk. Um, some people, there are some offices, and this is a little bit less common, but that allow for things like desks where you can move a little bit. Um, you can get up and move easily uh, and maybe have standing spaces. You can shift your position. That kind of stuff does help to refresh a little bit. So little bits and pieces that people can do. And Unless you're you know, in a high-tech uh, company like Google or Facebook where you can go in <laughs> and do lots of things during the workday. But they're smart because that, they, they've discovered that, that, you know, you know to go and you know, have a snack or go and play something or if you're playing ping pong or whatever you're doing, it, 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 it's not a waste of time. It, it, it just enhances your brain power when you come back. And it's just the opposite, actually. I would say it would be a waste of time if they didn't do it. That, I, that there's reason to believe they would actually be less effective if they didn't take those breaks. Does, does meditation play a part in this at all? Have you done any research on that and how it refreshes your brain? Yeah, so meditation, um, the, I have read about research on meditation. I didn't include much in the book, though. Um, I think one of the things that's happening with meditation is that it helps people practice uh, recognizing what their thoughts are and recognizing what their emotions are which is 
and recognizing how mentally fatigued they may be, which is extremely useful when you do come to these decision points, when you do have a moment in the day when you can decide what task to take on. There's information, there's valuable information in what emotions you've just been feeling, in how yeah. fatigued you are, you know, that these things can and should be used to decide what to do next when you have some flexibility in your schedule. And regular meditation practice seems to lead people to be more likely to pick up on those kinds of cues. Well, you know, I just think that, you know, your book has a lot of common sense in it that never occurred to me, (laughs) you know, know, because you get, you know, we get so caught up in productivity and multitasking and, you know, I've, I've got Basecamp and I've got, you know, Google Outlook and I've got Office 365 and I've got everything managing all this stuff. And some of your stuff, you know, like the nutrition stuff and the rest stuff and the, you know, how many decision making, you know, Mm-hmm. energy bombs we have in our head and I blow yeah. those out by playing video games you know um you know because I was using video games to relax and I was playing these strategic games that you know were as difficult you know sometimes as the programming that I do I'm like wow this is uh-huh. not a good hobby um right. but so much of your book was stating the obvious but we miss the obvious and that's my my biggest endorsement that I can give it it really boils down to the way we're made and how we work not these productivity systems out there and, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds to comment on that and then I got to take us out of the show that's from my perspective one of the, the best things I could hear somebody say about it you know when we learn how the human how human beings work then working with it is just going to kind of make sense um, and, uh, and that's when I think we know that we're on to the right track. Okay. The book is two awesome hours. Harness your best time. Get your most important work done. This is a book about you. It's not necessarily a book about processes. It's not a manual on how to do this and what software programs to use. It's how to work best with what you have, which is you. Uh, Josh Davis, I want to thank you for being our guest today. Uh, you can find his book, Two Awesome Hours, produced by HarperCollins. And uh, we're going to be back next week, Linda, with some more great guests. Terrific. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and 